Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Callum McDonald and a very happy new year to you. Thankfully for you, I am still indulging in the wine, the cheese, you know, all the New Year good stuff. So actually, I'm just dropping by to really say a quick hello today. This is part two of our holiday special episodes of Stories of Our Times, which means I get to go and put my feet up and listen instead, like you're doing now, to our Times and Sunday Times correspondents. Today, in our zip around the world, we are hearing from Venezuela, from Hong Kong, Canada and India. We're finding out how our correspondents have fared in 2021 and whether they are bold enough to make any predictions for what 2022 is going to have in store for them. You are listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. We are seeing in the new year together. This is New Year Dispatches from around the world. My name is Amrith Dillon. I'm based in Delhi. I'm a freelance journalist. I work for a range of publications, including The Times in London. I actually came to India from London with a view to being here for a year or two to enjoy India and to learn about India. But as a journalist, I found it so fascinating and so vibrant because there's so many life and death issues here that one or two years ended up becoming about 28, 29 years. So at the moment, New Delhi is my home. India is a a largely Hindu country. There's a small Christian minority, so Christmas is a relatively uh, quiet affair. Christmas is really limited to getting a Christmas tree because uh, middle-class and upper-middle-class Indians, particularly families who have children, like the idea of celebrating Christmas because it's so festive and so colourful. New Year's Eve was much livelier and much more colourful. That's big. People love to go to the hills or they flocked to celebrate New Year's Eve. I happen to be in Goa at the moment and I know that on New Year's Eve, a lot of people didn't even make it to their destination because the traffic jams on the roads, the long, narrow, winding roads in Goa, were packed and it took people three to four hours to reach their destination, their club or restaurant or bar. And by the time they got there, of course, midnight had struck and gone. Easily the biggest story uh, for me the last year was the second wave in India. It was simply astonishing and unbelievable on a personal level and as a journalist. The second wave in India in April and May and for part of March 
was so ferocious in terms of the speed with which the cases went up. Every day, more and more bad news was coming in. People were desperate for a bed. They were desperate for oxygen. The medicines were not available. And so we all knew, we sat in our homes, and we are the well-off and the affluent and the well-connected. We all knew that if one of us got COVID and, God forbid, we needed oxygen, we'd be on our own. There'd be absolutely no one to help us because there was no bed to be had. The stories of the second wave will haunt me. There are some images which I won't forget. One is of a couple, a brother and a sister, and their mother slumped on the pavement, obviously outside the hospital or crematorium, wherever they had cremated their father, all huddled, holding each other tightly and absolutely overwhelmed by grief. And of course, the other image, which I will not forget to do with the second wave in India, was the images of all the funeral pyres burning night and day, and all the pyres were massed so close together, because there was no space, so close together that the families attending the last rites of their loved one must have felt the intense heat of the other pyres, which were just a few feet away from them. I know too many people who knew many, many people in families who had died, parents gone, siblings gone, aunties, uncles. It was an absolutely horrific story to report. Well, unsurprisingly, uh, the other story I remember, which will uh, haunt me, it's also related to COVID-19, but it's uplifting. It's about two brothers in Bombay, one of whom had COVID-19 and must have been given a high dose of steroids and he was diabetic. That combination led to uh, an infection called black fungus in many patients. In a lot of these cases of black fungus, unfortunately, people lost one eye and in some cases, both eyes. With these two brothers, uh, the man who had COVID and lost uh, the sight in one eye was a photographer. His elder brother, Mahendra, was determined to help him because he knew that if he lost his second eye, his brother wouldn't be able to work as a photographer anymore. And so I spoke to Mahendra over the course of many weeks. Of course, it was dreadful that his brother got COVID and lost one eye. But as a brother, did everything he could, spent his life savings, ran around from hospital to hospital, doctor to doctor, for months in Bombay, first to get him treated for COVID and then to get him treated for the black fungus. That was an uplifting, inspiring story of absolute family commitment and love. And luckily it ended well, because the last photograph many months ago that I got from uh, Mahendra showed his brother sitting in a room. He was at home and celebrating his birthday and cutting a birthday cake. Biggest story that everyone's looking forward to in India for this year is going to be several state elections, uh, one in particular in the state of Uttar Pradesh. Uh, Now, these elections are important for one very simple reason. The Prime Minister Narendra Modi is halfway through his term and everyone wants to see how voters will react to his handling, or some would say mishandling, of the second wave when he really wasn't there. No one saw him, no one heard from him. Government really didn't do or say anything at all during the second wave. Up till now, we don't know how people 
have responded to that? Are they going to punish him? Do they think he's still the best bet given a very weak and divided opposition? And uh, of all the state elections, the single most important election is going to be in the state of Uttar Pradesh because it has 200 million residents and it sends about 80 MPs to the national parliament. So it's very difficult for any party in India to win a general election without winning Uttar Pradesh. So the election is going to be in February, and that's going to be a key, key test of Mr. Modi's popularity. In terms of how I feel about this coming year, I just want to mention one thing. It's very difficult to make any broad comment about India as a whole because it's so diverse and so vast and complicated. But I've spent the festive season in Goa, which is a tropical paradise. It's a tiny little state, so maybe it's not representative of India. But I spent about two weeks here, and I saw that Goa has the highest per capita income of any state in India. I have not seen any poverty. People are well-dressed, they're well-fed, they have nice homes, they have a good lifestyle. And my only hope for, for this year and for future years is that other parts of India where people suffer so much from a lack of everything, that they, the other parts of India will catch up with Goa and will finally in the next few years see some of the worst kind of poverty that we've seen in India for far too long. I'm Stephen Gibbs and I cover Latin America for The Times and The Sunday Times. And for the last six years, I've been based here in Caracas in Venezuela. So what have been the big stories in 2021 here? Well, probably uh, the biggest really is this ongoing political survival of President Maduro and the adaptation, really, of Venezuelans to that reality. How's President Maduro done it? Remember, he's a person that many wrote off a few years ago. Well, in short, really, he's got the key institutions that could be used to topple him, things like the parliament and the army. He's made sure they are on his side. The army, for example, the leaders of the army, the generals, are pretty generously rewarded for their loyalty. And what we've been seeing really over the last two or three years here has been this sort of extraordinary change, particularly in the capital in Caracas. The sort of ideology of this socialist government has been partly thrown out of the window. Instead, they've said, right, people can use dollars to to buy whatever they, they need. Things like casinos have reopened. And in Caracas, you've got this kind of rich tax-free bubble of a people who've had perhaps had savings abroad, perhaps have managed to set up a business here, perhaps have, you know, corrupt connections with the government. And there's a big spending spree going on in the sort of richer parts of the capital. Extraordinary to see, and particularly obvious in the run-up to Christmas, where there are big department stores absolutely full of consumer goods and absolutely full of people buying them and Christmas trees and big extravagant decorations even in parts of the city of Christmas lights and all the rest of it. Pretty incredible when you think this is a country whose economy has shrunk 80% in the last seven years. I mean, very, very rarely in economic history have, have, has there been such a sort of catastrophic decline of a country on that level. And 20% of the population has, has migrated, has left. Six million people are not currently in Venezuela. One thing you, I have noticed, though, is in the weeks before 
uh, Christmas, all the flights coming back into Venezuela were absolutely full. And they were full of people coming back, migrants coming back to see their family having left. And perhaps that's a sign of a little bit of a corner being turned, as I say, where people are saying, OK, Maduro's here. He may be here for the foreseeable future. Let's make the best of, of what we can. The other thing perhaps worth noting about Christmas in, in Venezuela is it, it, it sort of comes earlier every year. And the, the theory is that the government deliberately to stop any social discontent or unrest, sort of declares the holidays have started as early as possible. Now, we saw a really extreme version of that last year when, in October, President Maduro said, look, it's time to put up our Christmas decorations. And he took people on a tour. The, the state television showed him walking around uh, the presidential palace where he works, which had been ostentatiously decorated with plastic Christmas trees and deers and all the rest of it. The cynical feeling is that that's him saying, right, we've got to the end of the year. Let's all just celebrate. And we can worry about the political and economic problems of this country come the next year. So what might be the big story of the next year? Well, it could well be the question of the political future of Juan Guaido. He's the opposition leader who in 2019, as head of the parliament, said because he claimed that Maduro had stolen the presidential election, he, according to the constitution, should rightfully be the interim president until fair elections were held again. The plan was that just by him saying that, the army would decide, yeah, he's got a point and would, would shift sides and the people would, would join them and, and it would be a sort of peaceful revolution and the end of Maduro. Obviously, that hasn't happened, but a whole lot of key countries, including the United Kingdom and the United States, still say that Mr. Guaido is the rightful president of Venezuela. They address him as president. Meanwhile, European Union states have wavered a lot to the extent that they no longer use that word president. They just describe Guaido as an important opposition leader. Will the United States and the UK continue to see Guaido as president, even though you know, he doesn't really have any significant power, he doesn't really have an official office? As for any other hopes for this year, well, personally, because of the pandemic, like many other countries in the world, it's been extremely difficult to travel internally in Venezuela over the last 18 months, really. Additional complication here is that although it's got more oil than Saudi Arabia, there's a desperate shortage of petrol. So that has in increasingly made travel uh, more difficult. That may be getting a bit better. And if it does, I certainly want to take advantage and see more of this absolutely spectacular country. And in fact, in January, I am going to be going on an expedition to the interior, to the mountain from which Angel Falls, the tallest waterfall in the world, drops. So I'm very much looking forward to that and looking forward to writing about it too. We'll be back with more Dispatches after this. I'm Emma Tucker, editor of The Sunday Times. It's thanks to listeners like you that we're able to provide journalism that matters. Get to the heart of the story every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. 
Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hi everyone, this is Didi.、Uh, my full name is Didi Tom. I am the Beijing correspondent for the Times of London. As my title shows, I am based here in Beijing, China, and I have been here since 2012. I cover everything that is happening here in China, including Hong Kong, and Hong Kong has been in the news quite a lot in recent years. For 2021, I think the biggest story coming out of the territory. Is the introduction of the new election rules imposed by Beijing on the territory? This new set of rules are part of the two-pronged approach Beijing has taken in Hong Kong to ensure the city will be trouble-free for many, many years to come. One is the national security law, which was introduced in June 2020, and then the other is this new set of election rules. By this set of new rules, Beijing wants to make sure only patriots will get to elected to the city parliament. A critical part of this new set of rules is the setup of a vetting commission. So this commission is to make sure all the candidates meet the standards set by Beijing or the Hong Kong government to make sure the candidates they love the country. And they love Hong Kong. They're not going to be troublemakers, basically. As for this holiday, it was the second year in a row for me to be stuck here in Beijing, not being able to go anywhere else. The last time I had a holiday outside the country was 2019. Then the pandemic broke out, and China has taken this very strict approach to contain the pandemic. It basically has shut down the borders. And anyone who's coming back to China, even today, you have to undergo three weeks of quarantine. So theoretically, I can leave and come back, but you have to consider, you know, if the trip is really necessary for you to be isolated in the hotel room for three weeks. So so far for two years, I have chosen, you know, not going anywhere. For me, the biggest wish is for China to open up its borders. That will allow me to travel outside the country to see interesting places. It's been two years, and I think it's a little bit too long for me. 
by all indications, I do not think that is going to happen. That China is going to open up its borders in 2022 this year. For one thing, Beijing is going to host the Winter Games in February, and it's such a politically important event that China is not going to allow the pandemic to spread from the games to the rest of the country. And then later this year, the party is going to have a party congress. Which happens once every five years. At this party congress, President Xi is going to get his third term as the general secretary of the party. We know that is going to happen, but still, you know, observers and analysts they still think you know this congress is a very important thing to watch. I think what we're looking at is how the transition or how smooth the transition is going to be. Granted, you know, President Xi is going to be named. The general secretary for the third time, so that will begin his third five-year term. I'm Charlie Mitchell, Canada correspondent for the Times and the Sunday Times, based in Ottawa, Canada, the capital city. I have been in Canada since 2019. I came for the Justin Trudeau re-election in 2019 and never left. 2021 has been quite a year for news in Canada, particularly for a country unfairly seen as boring or dull by a lot of people in the UK and a lot of people in news. We've had the discoveries of more than a thousand unmarked graves of Indigenous children at former residential schools, where they were forcibly assimilated in Canadian society in these abuse-ridden. Catholic church-run schools all over the country. We went out to visit one, which was a pretty harrowing experience in Kamloops in British Columbia. In brighter news, two Canadians, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, were finally freed from detention in China, having been in jail unjustly for two years, kind of in retribution for the arrest by Canada of a senior Huawei executive, Meng Wanzhou, on a U.S. warrant. She was released after agreeing a plea deal with. U.S. prosecutors, and finally the two Michaels came home. I went out to British Columbia a couple of months ago to report on the wildfires and the heat waves, which really devastated the western province, the little town of Lytton, B.C. that no one's really ever thought about before. Smashed Canada's temperature record three days in a row, hit. 50 or 49 degrees Celsius before burning to the ground in a wildfire. Only a few months after that, the province was hit by these extraordinary record-breaking floods, which have completely destroyed all of the the province's major roadways. They cut off Vancouver from the rest of the country. They shut down the port. They shut down the Trans Mountain pipeline. There is nowhere in Canada, really, or in North America, I would say, where climate change has been so acutely felt as British Columbia in the past year, which has got, had this pendulum swing from extraordinary temperatures and devastating wildfires to incredible, awful, awful floods, which killed a number of people in mudslides. Which were capable of filling a house in, you know, within seconds, prompting massive evacuations. So it has been quite a year, and that doesn't even include Justin Trudeau winning re-election for the second time, winning his third consecutive election in Canada after calling a hasty snap election to try and ride a wave of 
vaccine-related optimism and finding it all quite a lot harder than he thought. But ultimately, after a pretty tough campaign against his conservative rival, Erin O'Toole, Trudeau won two seats and the makeup of Canada's parliament remained precisely the same, which raised the question, what was it all for? Why did $500 million need to be spent on that election? Canada flew into the holiday season petrified of rising COVID cases related to the new variant. Days before Christmas, the government introduced new guidelines about non-essential travel, essentially telling Canadians that they shouldn't travel, that they should cancel their holiday plans, and was considering a whole bunch of fairly draconian measures, particularly travel-related and perhaps even banning travellers from coming to Canada, which they did for a good chunk of the pandemic sent a lot of Canadians into a tailspin, particularly those who had followed the advice and had two vaccines uh, and were worried then that they would not be able to spend Christmas with their families, the second pandemic Christmas in a row. 2022 should be another interesting year. We're expecting Canada to make its decision on whether or not to ban Huawei from from its 5G networks, as the Australia and the US has already done. That relationship with China has been a major, major headache for Justin Trudeau's government. Now, with the return of the two Canadians, the two Michaels, they can start to form a China strategy and maybe create a more complete and holistic foreign policy with regards to China and that, that entire region. It's also a really important time, 2022, for Justin Trudeau to prove his doubters wrong. You know, he was referred to as the Paris Hilton of Canadian politics. He's long been seen as a lightweight in comparison to his father, who was just an absolute force of nature. Now is the time for him to follow through on some of his promises and leave a lasting legacy in Canada. For me, I've seen a lot of Canada now reported from a lot of places, from the West, from the prairies, all over Ontario, all over Quebec, from the Arctic. But I still do need to make it out to the eastern provinces with their funny and interesting communities with Irish and Scottish heritage. They still even have the accent, some of them, and I'm desperate to go out and, and hunt for treasure with the famous treasure hunters of Nova Scotia who are convinced that there are large amounts of buried treasure and they're determined to find it. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Callum MacDonald. Thank you so much for spending New Year with us. It has been lovely to be with you. We really appreciate it. Today we heard from Stephen Gibbs in Caracas, Didi Tang in Beijing, Charlie Mitchell in Ottawa, and Amrit Dillon in Delhi. The producer today was Asia Fuchs. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. From all of us at Stories of Our Times, Happy New Year. I hope you've had a lovely Christmas and all the best for 2022. I'm looking forward to speaking to you again soon. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. 
Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, (laughs) you you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Acast.com.